and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is May the 7th, 2021, and I am Frank Huerta. Yeah, I checked my... Um, you're Alex, by the way. You're Alex Kenzie. That's me. I yeah. checked my uh, Dogecoin just right now. It's she's up, brother. Sexy. Yes, she is. She took a step down, uh, but she refueled, and she's back on her way to the moon. <laughs> I'm I'm really curious if by Saturday when Elon hosts uh, Saturday Night Live, if it's going to be to a dollar, man, that'd be pretty insane. It's wild. Isn't it wild? <sighs> I, it's the social engineering of stocks. It's crazy. It's mm. just wealth built on hype. It blows my mind. It's such a beautiful thing to see sometimes just it's- people taking control of this scary too though because i think like 90 some percent of it is owned by like three to five people and if they ever sold it would just it would the market would drop out and it's also not backed by the fdic so it's it's not backed by anything it's yeah it's all it's all hype it's literally just hype it's It's what it is it's just people talking like you said if elon musk is on snl hosting Mm -hmm. and decides to mention dogecoin or does anything to reference it then it goes up like, yeah, that's just hype. Yeah. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Just like this, uh, Ethereum classic that I have too. I, I, I don't know. Do you, you invest in this kind of stuff? I, I like have just started to like my brother probably like th- four months ago was like Dogecoin, Dogecoin. And I'm like, all right, bro, whatever. I'm not taking my financial advice from you. And I should have, I should have fucking listened, man. Cause he's making some good money now off of it. Uh, but I, I bought in on Doge for sure a while back and it's actually been pretty good. Um, Ethereum, you were just kind of talking about it a couple of days ago and I, I bought in small, but I think I missed like the first big jump, um, that you, you did pretty well with it, right? With the classic there's Ethereum and then there's Ethereum classic. It gets real into the weeds. Uh, I don't know that. And if you're yeah. not even, if you're not into it, then it's just, you're probably, we're probably just speaking Greek right now, but there's, there's two of them. I guess the Ethereum classic used to be what Ethereum was. It was just the only one. And then there, it got hacked more than 51% of the computer was like hacked by somebody. Wow. And you're hearing third, like third degree information right now, but because it got hacked, it dropped and Ethereum branched off from what, what is now called Ethereum classic. So not Ethereum is a branch off of the original one that I guess is more protected. I don't know. Hmm. I have no idea, man. I just see it go up. And if I make a good profit, I secure it, sell, and then on to the next. Yeah. So is that what you like to do? You don't like to hold stocks very long? You like to kind of make your money, sell, move on? You know, if you're going to, it just depends how long you're, if you're in it to just strike rich off one thing, then you're probably going to hold and you're probably not going to get that, that much money. Right. But like if you're in it to continually make a profit, well then if you see that you've made a hundred percent profit, then you know, you don't have to sell everything, but sell some of that, give yourself some liquidity, go find something else that you think you can make another five to 10% profit on. And as soon as you get these profits, man, don't be afraid to take them because you're their profit. And if you do yeah. that over time, that's how you build a solid portfolio. So it just kind of depends on if you want to take the time to, to do it. Well, I trust you with all of my money. So I'll, I'll put all my money in the market on that advice. Uh, I suggest all the users to do the same. Uh, and just, you know, Frank Huerta, financial advisor. And, yes. and you know, you'll be good. These statements have been endorsed. <laughs> and you can send me your credit card information. Um, 
But you know, Alex, money is not the secret to happiness. We know yeah. what the secret to happiness is. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's more or less something that we've already known. Just put in different terms. Uh, and told by a Finn. And they should know because they've been like four years running the happiest country in the world. So we'll uh, talk about that later on. Mm. Um, you have a UFO update? I do. Just some just some clarification on stuff from the last episode just to uh, get, put some facts in there. And you're not just talking in, uh, well, I think it's supposed to be, you know, so we'll touch on that. Ah, uh, yes. Ever the information machine you are, sir. <laughs> and uh, jobs report out today and not as rosy as a projection as they thought it might be. Uh, mm. Quite a bit lower than the largest estimations. We created 266,000 new jobs. Last quarter, and uh, they estimated about a million. And so we'll talk about why they were off so bad and what it means going forward. I've got an update on uh, net neutrality and what's going on in that arena. Uh, kind of haven't heard about it for a while, but uh, yesterday it popped back up in the news with some uh, pretty re- like interesting, revealing evidence. What um, is net neutrality? We're going to get into it, Frank. Don't don't ask these questions ahead of time. You need oh, to wait. I'm just curious. You need to wait. I just wanted you to wet my uh, appetite a little bit. <laughs> it um, is, it's basically like uh, operating with the internet free as it is now, instead of having new restrictions put in where they could have different tiers and you, you're spending money for the internet, basically, on top of what you already pay. Don't we already spend for the internet, though? Yeah. So you want to spend more? I suppose not. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get not. into that for sure. And uh, Joe Biden has granted a waiver for our uh, vaccine patents and uh, has, that'll have some repercussions, long-term repercussions. That, that'll, that'll change the landscape of uh, how we do things in the future. Uh, sort of an unprecedented move. Uh, not only did it wipe out a lot of money, but it, uh, it just set a weird precedent for if we ever come across, say, pandemic like we have now and we need to race to uh to make a vaccine we've sort of taken that safety net of a patent away Hmm. from a couple companies that have made these vaccines in the name of trying to help out the world but uh i think i think in time it'll look like a short-sighted move but uh Hmm. today we're going to start with amazon yes this is a pretty juicy story man they uh mobilized to unionize right well so uh, this is a story that's still pretty close to home as I used to be a member of this union that was trying to organize one of their warehouses, one of uh, Amazon's warehouses in Alabama. Um, the union, damn Todd, <laughs> which is the retail wholesale and department store union, RWDSU, uh, for which I was a member for about three years, two and a half years, and actually a, a union shop steward as well. So I was kind of like the point guy in, in the store for any kind of discipline, any kind of, you know, questions for, from staff, anything like that. I see you with um, a whip. In a way, yeah. What, what, who was your employer? Guitar Center at the time. And okay. we were the first Guitar Center store to unionize. And it was, I mean, it's that fight started years before I even got there. It took them about three years to unionize just one store because GC fought them so hard. Um, and it was, it was not pretty. I, I got to sit in on a couple of the union negotiations, which was awesome. It was really cool to like sit there and like with a couple other employees with the lawyers from the union and like put together things that like are still in place now or things that have branched out to multiple stores 
and, and like protect people that, that was really cool but i also saw like the very uh dark evil side of corporate america and the lawyers that they choose to hire and how good they are at their job um and perhaps how terrible of people they are when they're trying to uh, negotiate against people that are just asking for, for pretty fair wages, pretty fair things. Um, you know, so, and, and businesses definitely have their view of, of unions for sure. And probably justifiably so, but from the standpoint of a labor, uh, you know, in most cases, it seems to be there for the right reasons. At least, uh, our country was certainly, so built you by were, them. you were in a, in a, you worked for an employer who wasn't unionized and then you went through the process of becoming unionized. Sure. And yeah, let me just stress, I did not start this movement. It started before I got there, but many of the workers, all the workers felt very mistreated by the employer, mm. uh, with hours, with, with discipline. Um, just, just with the way that like they felt like their workplace was, they felt like it was a hostile workplace and that guitar center as a corporation did nothing other than offer them a pretty solid gear discount, um, to like make it a nice workplace. Uh, and, uh, they, they had all kinds of stuff, man. They, their, their commission system is bogus. It, it, most of the time it made it so that only you know, like a, a department like accessories are, they're making no commission. You fade against your commission, which at the end of the day you make minimum wage, but you work however many hours you do all this different stuff. You're selling stuff, which you should be making commission on from that first sale. But if you don't fade what your hourly wage is for them, then they, they don't pay you anything, which is garbage. Um, but like departments like where I worked in pro audio where it's higher ticket items, you're always, you're making your money, you're making decent commissions. So it's not a big deal, but for, you know, for the people that aren't in those positions, they were, they were really screwed. So what was your, what was your dues? How much did it put you back? 20 bucks every two weeks or no, no, 20 bucks a month. I'm sorry. 20 bucks a month. And yep. then you, you unionize. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, there's a vote that you have to have a certain percentage sure. of, of the employees. But yeah, I mean, basically, when you become part of the union, it's 20 bucks a month and uh, you're fully covered. They got us phenomenal health insurance compared to what we used to have at the same price from what we used to pay. Um, they no longer were able to do a lot of the things that they were doing. They completely changed the pay structure, all the commission. Everybody there made money from the very first dollar that they spent or that they sold on that sales floor. Uh, it, it was a great thing. Like it, it, it at first, especially it was like, hell yeah, we won. We did this. This is great. As it went on, as it progressed, you started to see some of the things that were like, okay, this isn't like the rainbows and, and unicorn story that we thought it was like, there was opportunity for shitty employees basically to take advantage of the system and not get fired. And that was not cool, especially for mm -hmm. me who got pulled into all of those discipline meetings uh, and I wasn't getting paid by that union. I, I was technically paying them to do that job. Like I, right. they didn't even break me on my dues. Like I still paid full dues, everything. Um, but I'm, I'm, I was pulled in multiple times a shift for, because I basically anytime any management sat down with an employee for any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of problem, any kind of incident report, any, any, really anything. Like if, if a manager was sitting with an employee, they wanted union representation there. So I had, I was pulled off the floor constantly. And as a, someone that makes commission off your sales, that fucks you up big time. Now you, so you got to see the, the pros and cons of what unionization might mean. Sure. And, uh, it seems like the Amazon workers down in Alabama rejected it outright. Like seventy one percent that that voted voted no. Yes, but uh, National Labor Relations Board said on Wednesday that the evidence submitted by RWDSU to them was convincing enough and has raised objections to Amazon's conduct 
uh, prior to this union election that was that happened in Alabama and could be grounds for overturning the vote, which very rarely happens. You'd never really see this happen in, in labor negotiations, in labor votes, elections. It's, it's, it's very rare. Did they say what the evidence was that they had? Yes. Yeah. So um, basically, well, just to give you some more info, too, the vote count announced uh, on April 9th showed that workers at Amazon's uh, warehouse rejected the union by more than a two to one margin. The RWDSU submitted nearly two dozen objections to their conduct during the election, um, which it said prevented employees from a free and uncoerced exercise of choice on whether they should become a union or not. Some of the allegations have been as crazy as, and not even allegations, they have proof of this. Uh, right as this all started, the Amazon went to the city, or went to the county, Jefferson County, and asked them to change the times that the timing of the traffic lights they claimed so that the employees could get out of the parking lot more quickly and that the shift changes would be more efficient. It just happened to coincide with the exact same time that that delegates from RWDSU were standing at this traffic light as people came and left their jobs, giving them information about the union because they're not allowed on company property. So they just, they, they, Amazon contacted the county and had them shorten that period so that pretty much the light was always green so that these people are cruising by these people always. Is that a shifty move? Yeah, for sure. Um, they've also alleged that Amazon's uh, agents unlawfully threatened employees with saying that they would close the warehouse if they all joined the union, if the union came to be, and that the company, they have, they have a copy of these emails. They emailed out to all the labor force saying that they would have to lay off 75% of these whole force if this proposed bargaining unit, if this proposed union went through, which is very illegal to do. There were signs all over the place. Is it illegal to do? Yeah. It's, to send, it's out, like like to really send out a memo to your employees to say, hey, listen, if this happens, you work as you know it is going to change drastically because we are going to have the heavy hand of this union kind of setting rules that don't exist right now mm -hmm. and it's going to change i mean is i don't know the letter but it's it seems yeah. to me that amazon also has a or at least should have the right to say hey listen this is not good for you and here's why so labor law is is really there's a lot of gray area on this stuff uh there's definitely union busters even though they don't call themselves that there are people that are hired they came into guitar center when we worked there they're hired as a third-party company to come in and basically say what you just said legally like, okay. you're able to say like, hey, there are things that are bad about the union coming here. You know, here, these are the things that are great. We're here to help you guys. You guys can come to us. Most of the time, that's bullshit. It's just them trying to not have a union happen because it brings in a lot of bullshit that they have to deal with. Sure. Um, but no, a company can't straight up say, we're going to close this warehouse if the union comes to be, or we're going to fire 75% of you. Like, that, that's illegal to threaten employees. Like, it needs to be a fair vote to where... Like they've obviously gone to the union, sought out the union because they feel like they have problems. You know, I, uh, I know that the the wage is up to fifteen bucks, and I, to be honest with you, I don't know the specific plights of these people. I, I I didn't see what they were complaining about condition wise, but enough so that they went to the this uh, the RWDSU to find out if they could get help. At that point, Amazon is not allowed to strong arm or try to manipulate the vote in any way. Like they're yeah. allowed to hire these union busters that can explain it legally to them, but they can't do what they did. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult choice. Even if you're a worker, man, it's it's a difficult choice. All opposing factors aside, if you know anything about it, right, you know that the goal or the stated purpose of a union to be in an, an, employing, an employer is to represent the workers. And I was, I was, I was part of a union for like six months, but I worked for air gas where they had, uh, the drivers were union. They were part of some union that represented drivers and they all had to vote for it. And, um, they, they went on strike a couple of times. And, um, when you go on strike for a company like the one I worked for as a driver, that means all business halts, nothing, nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a real tough decision for some of them because they needed to vote on the union line to make it happen. And some of them I knew didn't feel the same way. They felt that they were getting treated fairly. They felt like the raises that were proposed in the previous contract were good. And more often than not, it was things that it was things that it would seem like a conversation, right? a small negotiation with the person that is above in the hierarchy of you where you work would have done the trick, right? Given that that person was also reasonable. Um, but it's a, it's a tricky thing to say, Hey, yeah, I want to do this. Um, and to know that things will change for sure. You know, I think even if Amazon didn't come out and say, state it so bluntly like that, if you knew anything about it, you would know that things would would certainly change. And your ability to negotiate by yourself, if that's something that you were inclined to want, would more or less go away, right? Because it would be in a contract what your advancement, treatment, healthcare, all of that. Did you have to sign a contract with Guitar Center? Yes. Yeah. Right when, right when you start working there. And what I, what I would say though, is that where where it was great and why one of the things that made joining a union so appealing at the time is, is one was shitty healthcare, shitty pay, but also like Illinois is an at-will state. So at any time, if a manager just didn't like you and, and we had tons of not good managers, we had tons of good, good ones too, but we had tons of shitty managers in, in the history there. If they didn't like you, they could fire you for zero reason. And, and that's in many states. That That's not like a, a revelation, some new thing. That's just at-will employment, but they, they could fire you for literally no reason. And yeah. And having a union in place stops that because they have you have to have document documentation of a record of you know this 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 and this. But what that leads to then when you bring the union into it, and what I found from sitting in on a million of these things, they'll start writing people up for any little infraction because they want that track record so mm-hmm. that if at, that day comes when you piss them off or whatever, they can fire you. Um, but like I'm talking about these lawyers that we negotiated with, I'm sitting at an, at a table and we're here bargaining about this day that we were there. We were bargaining about uh, points for being late basically, okay. which it, in Chicago, like most people take public transit to get to work. Like not a lot of people had cars, especially the younger workforce there. Like they're in college, they get free train passes through the colleges. That's what's worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a result, a lot of times you're dealing with pe- like people that are late, five, 10 minutes late, like just shit happens during a public transit route. Like that's, that's <laughs> very normal. You got a homeless guy that holds up the train or whatever. And we're, we're sitting at this, this meeting negotiating with them for which they show up two hours late to, 
a meeting about infractions for being late. And, and they're arguing that you should basically be able to be late five times or you're fired in mm-hmm. a year, which is just ridiculous. It's, it's just not, not reasonable. There's, there's a two minute like leeway period, but it's like, we're here trying to fight for like, what about five to 10 minutes? Like that's more reasonable in a city. You guys were t- two hours late for this meeting. Like shit happens. <laughs> you know? right. Like, right. Yeah. No. And you know, I, I, think, I just don't listen uh, from my perspective on this is that I think the majority of, of like modern human history where people have been employed, um, those jobs hold more power than I think the employee appreciates. Mm. And I agree with the transaction that I have a contract to where I'm going to give you my labor. And if for any reason you want to rip that contract up, fine. You have that ability. But if for any reason I don't want to work for you anymore, then I can also rip up that contract. No questions asked. But I'm you gone. don't see much though. Cause like two weeks notice is like the standard, but well, that's a lit- courtesy, but you don't yeah. need to do that. Right. Um, but what's, what's interesting about what we're arguing, what, what we're talking about right now is that, right. The power of a job. And right now the, the power of a job is higher than it's probably ever been in history. I don't know if you saw the jobs report that came out today, but no. um, we, we added 266,000 jobs in April, okay? Wow. Which is a good amount, but estimates were that it was going to get much higher than that. The reason the estimates were that it was going to be as high as a million jobs gained in the month of April is because there's so many jobs open hmm. and people, employers can't find employment and it is so bizarre. Um, the, the economy, we've talked about this previously. It's, it's red hot right now. Yeah. As it's coming out of this pandemic, people are spending a ton of money. You're getting a ton of vaccines. Lockdowns are coming, coming down more or less across the entire country. And all of this federal spending is coming together to just break us out of COVID. But what we're finding out is that the people that got laid off aren't going back to work. Either they don't have the initiative or they have incentives, monetary incentives not to, they get paid more to not be at work. I've got several friends that are on unemployment that say they make more now than they did when they worked 40 hours a week. So what is, what is, yeah, what is your incentive to that, go like, anywhere? It's the simplest explanation for any of this. And, um, I think Florida just, yeah, like Florida just yesterday, um, signed a bill that said that they were going to cut down heavily on, on, uh, unemployment aid for this very reason there's a lot of people saying they're not going to go to work because they're, they, they have fear of getting COVID, right? That might be a good excuse to, to stay on the government dole. Yeah, I could see that. But when you see so many job open signs everywhere mm-hmm. and you're not seeing the response in the job market match the demand, even though you have the workers available 
uh, man, that's just gonna that just kind of paves a rocky road ahead for us. I, I, it, it's hard to tell when this is gonna change. You know, you think that's because though, like, why would they go back to their shitty job working at like a Seven Eleven when they could stay at home and make more? Like, w- what is their yeah. incentive? Like to yeah. me, it's almost like do do we need to set up some kind of standard? Um, you know, obviously there's minimum wage, but like a standard for employment so that you don't have to bring in these unions and do all this stuff to, to kind of tie it back to Amazon. But like you have a, a wage that's livable, you have healthcare benefits, you have all these things that like should be in place to make it a worthwhile workplace, no matter where you work, you know, like you think that's a reasonable thing to ask. And like maybe something that would bring more people back to the workforce instead of staying at home and making more off unemployment. I mean, I think we're talking about those jobs. I, I, I think a majority of jobs now in Cal, I mean, especially in California, but, but uh, across the United States are rising up either by virtue of being, you know, good stewards of their employees or by, um, by law, be it state or federal, that they need to rise up their benefit package to their employees. And, you know, all, all of these companies provide pretty decent benefits when you're talking about pay, healthcare, and sort of just the base, the, the basic, you know, necessities of, of living, of having a job. Mm-hmm. I really think that it's just the ability to not work. Yeah. If you're giving the person the ability to not work, then you're going to have to go ask them to do some menial labor that is unattractive and that doesn't fulfill many people, but it's labor. And the only other way you would get that money if you didn't have a job would be from the government. And so, you know, I mean, does it suck to work at a Seven Eleven, or would it like really be shitty to apply for a job at a KFC? Like, yeah, it would. <laughs> it wouldn't be fun. But I think just personally i mean depending on what you're doing if you're not working but as if you're contributing something even if it's providing chicken to people that is something it's not nothing and i think the majority of people are are doing nothing but tell that to the ch- guy selling the chicken though you know what i mean like i in that position i'd rather be fucking home playing xbox doing whatever the fuck instead of working next to a fucking grease fryer making 10 bucks an hour. That's fine. If, you know That's what I mean? That's fine, but you wouldn't be saying that if you didn't have any other options. Right. Yeah, okay. You know? I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And if you and if you want to make that a better situation for yourself, you're in a good place to do it, but that's the incentive that you have to bring to the table. You have to bring that initiative sure. that hey I'm and that's here. also the first step to a better job because it's like you at least have a work right. history instead of hey i was that's unemployed for the last four years because it worked out pretty well for me you know and if you want something that's more fulfilling but all you can find is that well then there you go there's your starting point there's your building block but to mm-hmm. me to me it's it's pretty clear cut that there is the availability for income outside of unemployment benefits for a lot of people and I think we need to start allowing a lot of people to stop riding that wave. Yeah. And that's a tough thing to say, right? Because who, who, who am I with a job? And I've had a job throughout this whole thing. And it's not a terrible job, you know? 
Mm. That's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to say, and it's a tough thing for people to hear. But when you look at numbers like this, I don't know how you can come to any other reasonable conclusion. Yeah, and then and it just it piles on and on and on. It scares me for the next three and a half years or whatever, man. Because it's like, not only do we have a one point eight trillion dollar, you know, education reform kind of package bill on the table. Like this shit isn't free. How long is this going to go on? Like that's tax dollars that pay unemployment, that pay like welfare. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure those high, those numbers are higher than they've ever been. And it's like the, the left has open season for the next three and a half years to pretty much pass whatever the hell they want and put more of those things in, into effect. Well, um, maybe in the next like 12 to 15 months, but you think that the Senate will flip? Oh, or, it's almost, it's almost guaranteed. Oh yeah. Okay. I it's almost, I'm, I mean, just historically it's, it, it, the phenomenon is that if you have the house and Congress, I mean, if you have the, if you have Congress and the white house mm-hmm. and in a presidential election and the the next midterm election, it almost always swaps. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a large reason why things are trying to move so fast in, in, in the current administration, just because it, you know, they don't have a ton of time. Clock's ticking. He's doing, uh, speaking of the administration, he's he made a pretty controversial decision today, it seems. Yeah, he did. And um, I think it was, yeah, it was yesterday. President Biden decided to endorse a patent waiver for COVID vaccines. And what that means is that the companies that made the vaccines, particularly uh, Pfizer, Moderna, uh, BioNTech, uh, AstraZeneca, they all did so by filing a patent. They developed the, te- the technology, the science, they tested it, and they patented it. Patents might be the most important structure of our American economy throughout the entire history of it. It allowed people the incentive to innovate. Mm-hmm. Right. In this case, the ability to innovate a vaccine to literally save this country from a pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of people. Right. It's a very big deal. And they had a very big financial incentive through the patent to do this. And in one fell swoop, President Biden has destroyed tens of billions of dollars. In, in U.S. intellectual property. And you could make the argument that you want to do this because you need the world to get more vaccines sooner. But what it does is it sets an incredibly dangerous and destructive precedent that is going to reduce investment in pharmaceuticals. A lot of people like to talk about the pharmaceutical industry and how much money is involved in it because it is a ridiculous amount. But as somebody who's been pretty close to the biotech and pharmaceutical epicenter of uh, at least California, if not the country here in San Diego and in Torrey Pines and, and La Jolla, I've worked with dozens of these companies and it takes so much money and people lose tens of millions of dollars at a time investing in companies who think they might have the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And if you decided to make an investment in Pfizer or BioNTech or any of these companies that had developed this vaccine, then 
you made out. And the only reason you're able to make out and the only reason you're able to incentivize these companies to do this is because you have, you're protected by the patent. And when you take that away in the name of doing good, particularly in other countries that don't have this vaccine, then what you're saying is next time we have a pandemic, you're open to losing your patent and billions of dollars. And who's going to invest in that? Who's going to take that risk? Who's going to guarantee that's not going to happen? And it's just, it really is just such a boneheaded move. So, so yeah, well, how is he defending it? Like, what is he, how is he, I'm sure he's spinning it in a way. Like, how is, what is the democratic spin on this? Like the reason for doing this? Okay. So the proponent would say you're breaking these patent protections is, is necessary to expand the global access to vaccines. Okay. Meaning places like India and other impoverished countries that don't have the vaccine yet uh-huh. will be able to get it. Right? But why couldn't Pfizer just send their vaccine to India? Well, you could, right? Uh-huh. But that's not necessarily how it works in in the like the global pharmaceutical world, right? Gotcha. Okay. You have people like the the World Trade Organization, right? They step in because you need to pass these things through country lines, and so uh, okay. they had a rule already that. Um, that these low-income countries could force drug makers to license their patents during emergencies. So you, 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 these impoverished countries go to these drug makers and they say, hey, we need this patent. Can you license it to us? They don't even have to ask. They can just say, hey, we're in an emergency. We need this patent. So they license it, but they get paid for it. And mm-hmm. U.S. And, and European drug companies have already volunte- uh, volunteered to enter into Dozens of licensing of these licensing agreements with other manufacturers in these countries. And they, you know, you can't help, you can't help these countries. They have, they have to pull their own weight as far as manufacturing these things, but they have, they have the ability to get the license to the patent so they, they can do it themselves. Um, you know, uh, people like Pfizer and, and, um, and Moderna and AstraZeneca, you know, they make a ton of these, but they don't make enough for the world. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about the entire planet. That's a lot. So you're going to need to rely on these countries to take these licenses and then make them in their country. And um, and we've already committed uh, $4 billion to distribute, $4 billion to distribute 2 billion doses to these impoverished countries. So it's like, what more can we do to help and right. you've just ripped the patent from underneath these these companies' feet, and it just I cannot see the logic in it. I just can't. And I I, I would I, I I would really love if anybody is listening to, to just tell me why this is a good idea for the future of this country because I think that once you once you do this once once you rip rip that from these companies then going forward who's gonna who's gonna want to invest yeah the next plan pandemic we're gonna go to pfizer and then be like mm, we're good yeah that, or that, anything yeah. i don't know man you, you don't it's it's much harder to put the genie back in the bottle yeah 
And uh, so it, it, it's quite frustrating. And, and you know, if you want, you might cry foul about it and, and, and just say, how dare you? These countries need it. To hell with you. Why, why, like, imagine feeling sorry for a multi-billion dollar multi-conglomerate. And it's like, yeah, I get it. And will this hurt them and their ability to move forward? No, they got money. But it's not about that. It is about what it means for our the innovation and the respect that we should have for intellectual property for these companies. And um, yeah, foul move all, all around. Terrible. I, I, I don't like it. Not one bit. I would really be interested to hear the other side of that. Please, somebody write in if you disagree with us, because I, I want to hear the counter argument, because it, like as it's presented, it's like, dude, that just seems like the dumbest thing we could do for no reason. Like, like I, if we want to help globally, sure, but like we have a good patent. This company just saved our country. Like these companies just saved our country. Like helped us from a recession. Helped us get jobs, like businesses back open, people back to work for the most part. <laughs> um, and now we're just like, hey, thanks, appreciate that now we're going to shift whatever, you know, whatever has been working, I guess. And if you were a competent leader, you might do something like negotiate a, an agreement with a country to export our excess supply. Cause there's plenty of us who don't want to take it. Like that's been well documented. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you heard about Nick Saban. He just got recruited by the state of Alabama as their highest paid employee to incentivize Alabamans to get the damn vaccine because <laughs> A lot of them don't want it, and uh, they're, what is that, they're like a do... TV commercial. Like, hi, I'm Nick Saban. Nah, and, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> what the, get fuck? the fucking vaccine? <laughs> yeah, you want me to tank um, this football team? Nah, get the vaccine. <laughs> um, no, I think they're just going to be like, hey, we need to have a full stadium this fall oh, for Bama okay. football, and yep. we can't do that without your support. So, go out there, get vaccinated, uh, roll tide. It's a smart strategy. Those people fucking love Alabama. Yeah. So their their vaccine, their vaccination rate would jump 25% in like a week. (laughs) If he, if he just said those words, I I can go scream roll tide with 20,000 other people that are screaming it. I'm in. (laughs) Um, I think it just boils down to incompetent leadership, man. Yeah. You, you, you need to do something about protecting what we've always protected and never use an excuse and never over overstep. Don't overreach your power and then pull at our heartstrings for it. I mean, I know that that's what politicians are the best at, right? Doing shitty stuff and then making us believe that it's for the, for the right reason. But this is not, and it just needs intellectual property needs to remain protected at all costs because innovation is the driver of everything that we do. And if we lose that, we have nothing. That's a smart statement, Frank. You have them from time to time. Thank you. Kind of, kind of similar to that in a way. Um, as far as the internet and tech companies go, have you been following uh, kind of the news that came out with this net neutrality and, and some of the information they uncovered this past I, week? I haven't heard anything about it. Very interesting. Uh, I'll kind of refresh everyone out there. If you don't know what net neutrality is or you haven't heard it for a while, it's kind of been out of the public spotlight for a little bit. Um, But basically, net neutrality is the principle that internet service providers, ISPs, uh, must treat internet communication equally and not discriminate or charge differently based on who the user is, what the content is, website, platform, application, 
all kinds, the list goes on. But basically, internet service providers need to keep the internet free and you can't start introducing tiers and charging people and, and like monetizing the internet, basically. Would that mean like, would that mean like you get, I mean, that's kind of how they do it now, right? You pay for the speed. Is that what, the, is that what it's saying? You, you pay for the speed, but you don't. So, so with net neutrality, ISPs like are not allowed to intentionally block, slow down, charge money for specific online content. So oh, I see. So that's that's what net neutrality is. More. Without it, ISPs could like prioritize certain types of traffic. Uh, certain people that pay way more could get way faster speeds. Yeah. Um. You know, or could go to certain websites that certain people just couldn't. Like they could literally just be like, "Hey, if you don't pay thirty dollars a month, you can't go to ESPN.com or Facebook. You, like you mm. you can't access it. Sorry." Um. So it was a hot issue quite a few years back and it, it kind of seems like it's died down. It's, um, there's still, it's still very much a thing and it's, it's kind of a, a fight, but, um, I think it was in 20, like 19, I think it came before the house and, and a bill passed the house, like basically to, yeah, 2019, the save the internet act, uh, it, it passed through the house, but it got shut down in the Senate. So it's, it's like still kind of in limbo. Um, but basically like proponents of net neutrality, uh, which would include like human rights activists that do that invented it, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, among many others. Um, they assert that net neutrality helps to provide freedom of information exchange, promotes competition and innovation for internet services, and upholds standardization of internet data transmission, was, which is essential for like the growth of the internet. Uh, and there's a lot of companies that have got behind that. Uh, Yahoo, eBay, Amazon, Microsoft, Reddit, Twitter, Tumblr, Etsy, bunch more. But th- those are the main like, people fighting for it. And even in 2008, Google equated the situation to that of like the telephony market, telephones, uh, where like, imagine if telephone companies were able to control who their customers called or what those customers were allowed to say on the call. Hmm. That That's basically what, what getting rid of net neutrality would kind of be. Um, so and then you obviously have the other side. So opponents of net neutrality, which obviously include these ISPs, telecom equipment companies like manufacturers, they argue that net neutrality requirements would reduce their incentive to build out their internet infrastructure, their system for supporting this huge, huge thing that is the internet. Uh, They think that it reduces competition in the marketplace and may raise their operating costs. Companies like Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, IBM, Intel, Cisco, Nokia, big companies <laughs> that are very integrated into everything that we do. Um, so really, really hot topic. Um, I could go on and on about it, but basically what these opponents to net neutrality are saying is that companies like a Google and a Skype and a Netflix, which use the internet as their operating platform, yet don't contribute to this infrastructure of what makes the internet possible, which, which is, I could see that. I definitely could see that. Like you're telling me Google doesn't like, like do anything to support the internet, which is like, they're probably, they've got to be the biggest site on there. I mean, you, outside of the outrageous demand for their products, which might incentivize people to, so that's the thing about ISPs is that they sort of more or less hold a monopoly on on their areas, right? Like my choice right now is AT&T and Cox. And then I don't know, I'm sure there's another one out there. It, 
and when I was living in downtown, I could only get Google Fiber. Yeah. It's the only internet that I could use, which it was fine, but it was the only I could use. So they kind of have a monopoly on it. And, um, you know, if there was more competition, maybe you might see the infrastructure get better. Maybe you might not. Um, but, you know, I think Google's playing their part in, in all these, like even like, like Netflix and anybody yeah. who has like the crazy demand for their product or their, their website you know, might incentivize a normal company to invest in that infrastructure because they know it's going to be used for ever or at sure. least for the foreseeable future. But basically the ISPs are basically saying if we can't monetize off of the internet, like we can't keep growing the infrastructure to support it. That's not, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I if you, I could hear the argument that if you wanted to take that sort of infrastructure, weight off of the federal government shoulders and make it a, a, a more or less privatized industry and allow for competition and allow for, you know, cause I can see that uh, the way I'm envisioning the argument is that you have somebody that can supply internet to you. If you just want to like send emails and nothing less, mm. or it could send you a giant amount of broadband for one reason or another and just making it like hyper, um, selective, giving you tons of options on how you want to consume your internet. Because right now we only have about three or four, right? When you sign up for an internet provider, you have like three or four tiers and you choose what makes sense and and then yeah. you're off. So I, I mean, I hear both sides to it, but... Yeah, some proponents even want to make it like become like a federally standardized thing so like the government would control the internet, which I think is probably like the worst idea. Yeah, right? That sounds <laughs> terrible. That sounds like... A, a, that literally sounds like China. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, yesterday, so some developing news. When this was all going on back in, back a few years ago and in 2019, they, the, a lot of these votes were going on to try to push a bill through to enable some kind of you know structure for everything. Um, a lot of people were writing into the FCC to like give their, their opinion on it. And, and uh, you know, maybe like help sway what was going on just so that like our politicians could really see what the American people thought. So yesterday, the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, yeah, Letitia James announced that nearly 18 million out of the 22 million comments that they received were entirely fabricated. Hmm. So about 8.5 million of them they found were actually ISP companies that... Hmm wanted to manufacture support for the repeal of the existing net neutrality rules um, just to make it look like there was more people in support of that. They also found that a single 19-year-old college student in California who was pursuing a degree in computer science submitted 7.7 .7 million pro-net neutrality comments under fake randomly generated names. Hilarious. The problem is that the ISPs were using real people's names without their consent mm. at all. And uh, with the way they did this is they hired third-party firms to like fake consent records. It, it basically, if, if anything was followed up on, these companies would step in and fake the consent for them. So wow. that, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's not good. The California kid who was doing it in the reverse 
uh, did not do that. His were just randomly generated names. So that is like where the big issue comes into play here. But it is astounding that only 4 million people out of the 22 million people were like actual people. How many comments did that one, that one kid... He did 7.7 million himself, Seven, man, and the ISPs did 8.5 million. What a yeah. bunch of morons. Yeah. Hey, so, this not going to look suspicious, right? 7.5 million of them. Yeah. That can all get so, traced back to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the uh, attorney general's report said the industry campaign was run through Broadband for America, which is like an umbrella a group that inc- includes all these ISPs, Comcast, Charter, AT&T, Cox, CenturyLink, Verizon's also like associated with them. Damn. Um, but so this is even, it gets crazier. So like with the broadband company, like with these companies hiring a third party uh, vendor to do this, they are like totally not liable for anything. They, they didn't have direct knowledge of what they were of this like fraudulent behavior that they were doing. So basically they paid them $8 million like for this campaign and wash their hands clean of it and they took care of all like the shitty like fraudulent kind of things that they did and they oh we had no idea we just gave this company this money <laughs> so you can't you can't directly link them with the egregious act of using real people's names therefore they are not held liable is what exactly saying. yep yep <laughs> Sounds like a corporation to me. <laughs> yeah. So Sounds while like the numbers of fake lawyer. comments were like roughly equal in supporting and opposing net neutrality, uh, the attorney general's report basically said that the industry's campaign to generate fake comments opposing net neutrality and using people's actual identities is very, very illegal and that action should be taken. Mm. So, well we'll, we'll, see. well, we'll see, man. That's that's wild. Yeah, good on that one kid though, dude. Seven point seven million, and they're hiring. They're paying some companies eight million dollars to do what he did by himself. (laughs) Get him a contract now. Hey, you know what I hate? (laughs) What's that? Segways. Yeah, you're pretty good at them though. We um, got one more story for you today, and that is the story of the secret of happiness. Mm. Um, And we know it. They've told it to us straight if I can okay. find what I'm looking for. So um, they asked the question, there's a Danish concept and it's called Higgy, 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 how do you pronounce this? Look at this Huga. research. You hear that? <laughs> Huga. Huga, okay. Is, and they asked, is Huga still a thing? Huga is a Danish concept of what they call comfortable convivality, all things cozy, you know, they capture the essence of their culture. And they, okay. the Danish said that they were, that's their secret for, for happy living. And um, the reason that this, they kind of get gained in popularity because they've been the happiest country in the world for a long time as, they, as the uh, World Happiness Report has been keeping these records. And um, Finland has taken over as the world's happiest country for the past four years, taking over Denmark. And their equivalent to what Huga is, is uh, something way less cozy. And uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this word. It's called Kalsalraklana. I don't know. <laughs> what it translates to is pants drunk. <laughs> it okay. refers to the practice of binge drinking home alone in your underpants. 
Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> which Al might call a Tuesday. Um, basically, what they're saying is, is if this is the secret to a happy life, if that's your secret to a happy life, keep it a secret. Mm. Okay. So, and they're skeptical about it. The Finns, they're very skeptical about this notion that they're the happiest country in, in the world. And, you know, they're not, they're not a blissful nation. It's not, you don't go to Finland and it's just like a bunch of bright, happy people. Um, they're very, and as described by the author here, a, a Finn, um, their natural state is brooding and private, grimly in touch with no one but themselves and the shyest people on earth, depressed and proud of it, <laughs> end quote. So um, when they do these polls, these happiness report, reports, they ask a very simple question, okay? Mm. They say, imagine a ladder with steps numbered from zero to 10. Top rung represents the best possible life. Bottom rung represents the worst. And where do you put yourself? And that's how they, that's one of the ways that they um Pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, you know, how, how happy do you feel in your homeland? Um, and by all accounts, things in Finland aren't terrible. They're, they're, there's not a high poverty rate. There's not a lot of homelessness. Um, you know, deprivation isn't a, 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 a common thing in Finland. Um, they do have universal access to education and healthcare. Uh, and um, they give a bunch of vacation it's a, it's a, it's a common occurrence to, to have long vacations. But according to this Finn writing this article, the secret is happiness. It's a secret to happiness. You ready for it? I'm ready. Oh, is that yes. we should not ignore expectations. Mm -hmm. They, they, they go by the, this law of jaunt set of commandments, uh, believed to capture something essential about this Nordic way of living. Uh, you are not to think that you're anything special. You're not to imagine yourself better than you are. And you're not to think you're good at anything. And that's how these people live their lives. Um, and people are socialized in this country to believe that they, that, that what they have is as good as it gets or close enough. So literally their secret to happiness is don't have any expectations. So do you think that like, just to compare it like to us where we're like, we're America, we're the land of the free, we're the best country in the world. That's, that's like an expectation. We aspire to a lot, but we also aspire to consumerism. We're yeah. gluttonous, fat, angry, pissed off, impatient people. Most of us, there's a good chunk of us who are not. Mm -hmm. um, but o overall, if you were to ask somebody their opinion of American, I would believe that that's their response, right? fast yeah. moving, high wired, shoot for the stars. Cause if you miss, you'll land on the moon, right? Like go mm. for it always. Um, and, uh, they picked a term in this article, lagom, uh, which can be translated to as just the right amount. And they believe that that's the best way to encapsulate a, a Nordic way of, of living or how they maintain their, their happiness and it you know it's essentially just an embracement of modesty and um like an overall rejection of excess hmm. um so there it is 
don't have any expectations. Don't think you're good. Can you imagine, imagine, <laughs> imagine going to a child. Imagine going to your, you have nieces, right? Yeah. Hmm? Imagine going to your niece. How old is she? Five? Uh, four and two. Perfect. Go to the four-year-old and say, hey, you are not to think that you're anything special. <laughs> you're not to imagine yourself as better than you are, and you're not to think that you're good at anything. <laughs> it's pretty sobering, yeah. Yeah, dude, your sister-in-law is going to kick your ass. <laughs> right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, you could probably boil that down to humility, humbleness, yeah. being humble. I'm, I'm sure it's like pitched or taught a little bit softer than that though like in schools like i'm sure they like word it in a way that's not just so like hey you're not shit <laughs> yeah you know, maybe but, or maybe not yeah yeah remember yeah, it maybe used to be remember it used to be a good thing to tell somebody that to try and sober them up somebody who just got a big head hey you're not shit yeah yeah don't you don't don't think you're anything better than you are because you're you're just a guy I get, yeah, that's like the idea of like an intervention too for like a drug addict. For sure. I mean, and, and just think of the things that we put pressure on ourselves about and they're, they're nothing, you know? Yeah. They're nothing. They're cosmetic. They're, they're materialistic. Uh, the values of having just enough no longer apply here because we have way more than enough. I would say capitalism is like a direct driving factor of that. Though. Well, a hundred percent, man. I mean, yeah. you, if you have a society whose, whose sole purpose is to advance forward and the major driver of innovation is profit, yeah, then yeah, hundred percent. And, and it's a good thing, right? In, in a way, because you know, we have redefined what it means to be in poverty We've risen a giant portion of, po of our population out of poverty. We've created more wealth than any nation could have possibly fathomed. Yeah. But when we stop and stop believing that we're just a man or just a woman or just a human and take a step back and, and recognize that there is, you know, really nothing about us that that should allow us to think that you know our shit doesn't stink mm -hmm. um then yeah who's to who's to say that that grab for uh materialistic materialistic pleasure or materialistic uh wealth is gonna make you happy i think time and time again the only story that you hear is that it it does the opposite <laughs> so lower your expectations don't don't expect anything you're not yeah, maybe shit. that's it yeah that's that's not what i thought you were gonna say man but that's i could yeah. i definitely could see that yeah it's not masturbating al that's not the <laughs> secret to happiness <laughs> although you're an american you get to define that yourself so far <laughs> be it for me to say anything to the contrary Oh, well, quick before we go, we're up against it, but I did just want to like touch on the on UFOs real quick from the last episode. We kind of jumped into it and I mentioned there was some language in a recent bill that went through in, in during the COVID bill. And uh, I just kind of wanted to clarify that because I don't like to speak loosely very often, um, although I'm sure I will continue to do so. So there'll probably be more updates like this coming. But anyway, so the exact language that was in this uh, in the bill made a comment on advanced aerial threats 
And the committee, what they said word for word here, I'm just going to read it. The committee supports the efforts of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force at the Office of Naval Intelligence to standardize collection and reporting on unidentified aerial phenomenon. Any links that they have to adversarial, there we go, foreign governments and the threat they pose to U.S. military assets and installations. However, the committee remains concerned that there is no unified comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on unidentified aerial phenomenon despite the potential threat. Mm. Uh, and it goes on from there to basically say, like, we, we need to, like, have this organized, have some kind of, like, agency really handling these things. So in other words, the secrecy surrounding the spotting of UFOs is not to the benefit of anybody in this country. And in fact, it could put us in a detrimental position if we don't start to organize the information that we have on things that we can't understand. Yeah. That way it can properly be addressed because like the fear is that there are high up people in the government, um, within the CSA or CIA and the NSA, uh, and, and above that are maybe have knowledge that is above the president even where there, there are things that like, we cannot let people know we need to govern these things ourselves. This is how it has to go. There's very many claims to that. So I think that they're trying to address that as best they can through government. So this is the first step, but since the 180 day requirement was set into motion, which is when Trump signed this bill on December 27th, the CIA has already released more than 2,700 pages of documents that detail UFO accounts from the 40s all the way to the 90s. And they're still releasing stuff daily. They still have, I don't even know how many days have passed. I think it's like two more months to to get everything out. But there's you can go and look at this stuff yourself. If, you, if you're interested in it, like me, I could sit there for hours. And you can just read through account after account after account of all these different people, all this information that we've collected over the years. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, I don't want to dis, dis, uh, discount any any of the experiences that people have uh, experienced, but I can't help but think that like people are pouring through these documents, and like one of every three or four of these reportings is just somebody like at night or like early in the morning without their glasses on looking at a crop duster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like very obviously not a UFO or something sure. that we could very easily just like, ah, oh, fuck. Here's I'm one. sure. Yeah. I mean, if this data goes back to the 1940s, people have been bullshitting and I mean, the humans are, we're faulted with errors. So, or also like, I'm sure we've run operations as a government with things that maybe are common today, but weren't common back then. And people saw it and were like, what in the? Right. Like, have you ever seen an LCAC driving on the five freeway going north right before you hit the San Onofre titties? If you, if you know what I'm talking, if you know, you know. And there's LCAC. It's got like a, it's like a hovercraft. It's got two propellers on each side thing uh-huh. in the middle. If you didn't know what that was and that was a secret to the United States or to the general public, you'd shit your pants. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, like I said, I don't want to discount. I'm sure people have a bunch of yeah, stories. I'm about sure it. some of these are complete bullshit, but I mean, even if half of them or whatever are true, like there are, there are unidentified flying objects. Um, and, and it's, it's just cool. So if, if you have time, I'll, we'll post it up on our, on our Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll post the link to the CIA's website. You can literally go through and read through all of these. And I, I will leave the caveat. The U S government is still able to classify and not release certain documents here. Like they are not being forced to release everything. So 
I'm sure any very big revealing thing uh, that could change whatever is nothing that you'll find here. But it's still just cool to read UFO accounts and stuff that our government has collected and sat on for years. It's cool to like see that actually released. So uh, if the we, next Republican uh, nominee for president in 2024, whoever that is, if they promise to release the JFK files, they got my vote. Yeah, JFK got killed for that, man. No one's, That's all no one's touched it since then. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't think you'll see anyone do that for a while. That's also why people claim that a lot of they stopped sharing those details with presidents a long time ago because it can lead to assassinations potentially. Well, that's hearsay. We'll, you will see, but but if you have time, definitely go online and check out the uh, F L I R one video, the gimbal G I M B A L video, and the G O F A S T video. Uh, they were public by the New York Times back in 2017, 2018. They're they're pretty cool videos just to watch. Some proof of UFOs. If you, if you get a second, go check them out. And definitely check out the link on our Twitter for the uh, CIA and all the documents. You got that. <laughs> also check out our Twitter feed Ooh. at FriendshipNH on Twitter, at FriendshipNewsHour on Instagram. And as always, you can send us comments, questions, concerns, uh, reviews. Whatever you want to send us, really. You could just send us a picture of yourself and say hi. Uh, we love it. Bummerdude.media at gmail.com. We will be sure to answer you there or on any of our platforms. And we really appreciate you guys listening. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Wish your mom a happy Mother's Day. Do something nice for her on Sunday. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week. Go Padres. Go Padres.